If you're tired of the superficial and you're craving real conversation about life, relationships, fears, doubts, and the divine in the middle of it, this is the place for you. My name is Anna Dimmel, and I'm a blogger, writer, and former pastor. And it's my passion to build bridges, not walls, through honest, real conversation and connection. And I want that for you. This is the show that will help you do that and give you not only inspiration and connection, but will help you leave the superficial for good and form the real connections you're craving. Your story matters, and I'm so glad you're here. Welcome. Hi there. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Anna Dimmel. I'm so happy you're joining us today. Today's a fun episode. I am sitting down with my good friend Kirby, and Kirby and I are going to talk about all things relationships. And she and I both share the history of growing up in evangelical faith. She and I are both writers, and we both have recently gone through separations and divorces. So she and I have a lot to talk about, and I cannot wait for you to hear this conversation. But before we dig into that, I have to tell you this episode is brought to you by Alice Ranker. Alice, you are a godsend to this episode, as is every Patreon giver. And I am just so honored that you support this show monthly in the way that you do. If any of you want to learn more about how you can support this show, just go to my website and click on the button Patreon. I love you all so much, and I cannot wait to dig into this episode, and I know that you are going to totally just like eat up everything she says. So without any further ado, here we go. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm joined by a good friend of mine, Kirby Carroll, and we are talking all things relationship today. So Kirby, say hello. Hi. I am so happy you are with us today. I cannot wait for everyone to get to hear your voice and get to hear more about you. I love it. So where are you right now? You're always traveling, but where are you right now? I am. I'm actually in Washington State, but not like the pretty part of Washington state. I'm snowed in, in like snowpocalypse in Eastern Washington. It's the desert. It's like flat and kind of one of those strip mall cities, you know, there's, it's called the tri cities and there's three small, uh, places that kind of bled into each other and they all have like, it's kind of fun because I, I normally live in LA and so they don't have Walmarts in LA, but there are Walmarts here. And I'm like, oh my God, the novelty. And so I'm like walking around like amazed at the, you know, American consumerism that Los Angeles would rage against. You know, it's very fun. Yes. Oh my gosh. I love it. Okay. So you and I have known each other for like forever. It seems like now, how long have we known oh each God. other? Actually, probably since what, 2010, you think? Probably. That sounds about right. Oh my God. Feels about right. Like a decade. This is amazing. That's like a decade. And we're still like enjoying talking to each other. Imagine that. Yeah. Like (laughs) it only gets better, right? Yes. One of my favorite things about you and your life is that you are constantly traveling. 
Oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Tell me what you love about me. <laughs> I love that you travel all over the place and you always take the most amazing pictures and have the most amazing experiences and stories. And I just am fascinated by all of it. So for the people listening that don't know you, yeah. just give a quick rundown of like some of the places you like to visit. I, so I, I have lost count. It's like somewhere in the high 20s of the countries, number of countries I've visited, but I, I don't usually count like numbers of countries. Some people really care about that. I mostly just go to the places that I love and then keep going back to the places that I love. So, um, I, I continually go to, I go to Ireland every year cause my dad's from Ireland and that allows me to have an EU citizenship. So I can kind of bounce around nearly anywhere in the world with an American and a European union citizenship. So I, I'll typically spend like four to six weeks in Italy. Last year I spent, I think nine weeks in Italy. I, I, last year I did, let's see, India, Israel, and I spend months at a time in India too. I love India. I have good friends there and let's see, India, Israel, Italy. Uh, I've done France. I don't really love it. I've done Thailand. I've been to Australia four times. Um, I've done Nepal. Uh, I have a book deal in Sri Lanka, I think, this fall. So that'll be fun. Um, so I'll go there. Oh, my gosh. Kirby. Yeah. This is why you're so cool. Are you listening to yourself? Like, this is why you're I'm so not, cool. All I know is freelance life. So I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> why Why hasn't that last contract paid me? Like, when is my when is this coming in? You know, so, <laughs> like sometimes you get, you get so lost in what you're – you know, then the, the, um, I always say as soon as you finish eating or finish a project, right. You have to go hunting again. Um, uh-huh. and so freelancing is more about hunting than it is, or it's as much about hunting as it is creating. So, but I do, I love, I love the lifestyle because it does, it allows me to travel and I've built, um, a little bit of a business from doing some travel writing to not, writing about travel, but, uh, working for international clients really. And so that's been, that's been really fun. Cause it, it, it just takes me to new locales. And I love, I love that. It, it's, uh, I think it's easy to get, um, kind of wrapped up in like cell phones and, you know, for me right now, like, Oh my God, $2 bubble bath at Walmart. This is amazing. And, <laughs> and so traveling just forces you to be in your skin and kind of get rid of and shake off that dissociative thing that we can tend to do. Um, which is, I think the, I mean, it's like everyone's asleep now and I I can do that. It's very easy for me to just slip into like eating mac and cheese and reading a bunch of romance novels. I think I've Mm -hmm. two years of my life that way most recently. So yeah, I think travel is very healing. One thing I love about our conversations is that I never know where you're going to be when we actually talk on the phone. And so I'm always like, where are you today? Where are you traveling to next? What's happening next? And we had this conversation recently, which was why I had to have you on the show. And we were talking about tons of different things like we usually do. But you circled around to this idea of soulmates and how soulmates are now different than what you originally thought that they were. And I was like chewing on this for days after we got off the phone. So if you don't mind sharing that like nugget of our conversation, I want to hear it all over again. Yeah, absolutely. And 
you know, just remind me of anything that was absolutely astounding that I said. That I, <laughs> um, I know you were taking notes during our conversation. So, um, yeah. So, well, let me frame this first of all in that um, I'm viewing it through a few different things in my life. One of those things is I write for, I ghostwrite for psychiatrists. So that means that I write their stuff and they put their name on it. And um, that has allowed me to, I don't know, really study for years. They all call me like an honorary psychiatrist. So I've really studied for years. Um, it takes a lot of work, like legwork, digging up articles. and Because I'm, I'm not a doctor. <laughs> I do not have a medical degree. So, But I've learned a lot about interpersonal communication and um, the specialty like around emotion and micro expressions and what does it feel like in our body what does it look like on our face how do you emotionally connect with someone all of these all of these different things so I will probably talk around a lot of therapists or things that that I've learned I guess during this conversation and the other thing is that I am uh, I've been separated for about a year and a half and I'm just about to wrap up a divorce and we are great friends. Like everything is fine. There's nothing horrible happening. Um, no hurt feelings or anything, but we just came to a point where we kind of decided, you know, Hey, we're just friends. Let's give each other the chance to do what we want to, what we each want to do in life. I want to travel all the time. He wants to be at home all the time. Um, so through that lens, basically you and I were talking yesterday or a couple days ago, I guess, about how really feel like girlfriends are your soulmates. And, you know, the idea around that no matter what, I have been talking to you for 10 years. I have a friend that has been one of my closest friends since we were 16. And we still talk or 15. We still talk all the time. And I'm going to be 35 soon, you know, that's 20 years of conversations with this one person that will never break. And uh, I have a lot of really, really close girlfriends. And I, I think that a lot of times it's like girlfriends are your soulmates because like you and I have talked about Esther Perel, right? Yes. Love her. You love her. Yeah, I do too. Have you read any of her stuff? No, I mean, I've read bits and pieces of her stuff, but no, not cover to cover. She's got like, she's got like a lot of YouTube videos and stuff. If if anybody likes YouTube or I, she's got a podcast where she does real life. Yes, I've listened. So good. It's, I haven't actually listened to the podcast. I've read one of her books. She has a book uh, called The State of Affairs, but it's just about breaking down of a marriage and honestly, female sexuality and, um, how there are a lot of confusing or there's a lot of false data out there about that. So, but one of the things that she brings up, a lot of social scientists bring this up, but I only learned about it from her, or I first learned about it from her a couple of years ago. She, she kind of brings up how everybody, we, we are so used to a tribal society, like our primal selves, meaning we were made to be around a lot of people and we had sort of this group share ideal. So hunter gatherers and things like this, um, socially would have 
the whole the whole structure of the group working in general would have been supported by the need to share and you you didn't you didn't keep things to yourself you shared everything and um a lot of these societies had like girl like so there and i'm so sorry these dogs oh it's okay okay <laughs> i'm like staying with a friend she has two huge bloodhounds okay so so these these societies were largely matriarchal and um a lot of the groups that we find today they're even like pretty untouched people groups who have maintained their their societies as they would have been tens of thousands of years ago they're largely matriarchal and the interesting thing is that when you have a partner when you have a romantic partner you can get one thing from them that is like you cannot go outside of the relationship for typically in our american ideal of um of monogamy so you can have sex with one person and that's kind of that's the like societal ideal but for every other piece of your life you have this tribal mentality and you have you're you're supposed to share emotions and they would have shared like child rearing and shared cooking responsibilities and shared all of these different things while the men were out hunting and gathering. And so women for forever have just kind of, maybe the word is evolved. Maybe this is how we were born. Maybe this is our, you know, higher levels of estrogen, all of this stuff. I don't know, but we are built more for connectivity. Um, and science even shows men are lonelier. Even after divorce, men don't fare as well, and women fare way better. Um, and that's that's a pretty wild statistic right there, but it's just true. Because we reach out for support from our girlfriends, and we have we we build ourselves like little tribes of, of girlfriends. Do you do you feel like you have um a support group, Anna, that you you've built? I know that you and I talk all the time, but we're, I've seen you like three times in my life, <laughs> but we find out on the phone all the time, you know? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm listening to you kind of, because we only talked briefly on the phone about this before we both had to go. So I'm totally, my wheels are spinning while you're talking and it's so true. Like you, I have those people in my life that have been there for like decades that, like you said, those conversations that have never stopped and those threads of life that we share through divorce, through having babies, through moves, through career changes that I didn't share that with a partner, so to speak. I shared it with these friends of mine. So yeah, that's totally resonating with me. I remember when I, I, uh, was super, super Jesus when I got married and someone gave me a book um, I forget the name of it, but it was Elizabeth Elliot's book to her yes. daughter um, about being a, what it is to be a wife. And the names of the chapters were like, you're marrying a man, not a, not a woman. You're marrying a husband is not like any other relationship you've ever had, you know? And, but the, I'll never forget that you're marrying a man chapter and how she talks around, he doesn't care what color the curtains are. Call your girlfriend for that. He doesn't want to see you cry. Call your girlfriend for that. He doesn't want da-da-da-da-da. Call your girlfriend for that. So whether that's a learned behavior because I just thought it was expected of me also to kind of be closed off. And it did It did take me a long time to kind of become really what is actually vulnerable in a relationship um, with my ex. but. 
it was so natural, easy, and fast to connect to women emotionally. Um, because I mean, women are categorically like more emotional. I think I said glorically, categorically. That'll be I think you did. But women are categorically <laughs> more emotional. And, and I mean, I don't know if that's, it, I, I guess we'll find out since people are letting, <laughs> letting their children choose their gender, right? If we'll, we'll find out if it is so much more nature or nurture there, but it's just easier, I think, to connect to women in general. I think men find it easier to connect to women and women find it easier to connect to women. It's true. And you mentioned your, um, your Jesus-y background. And I want to dig in a little bit to that because I think a lot of people can resonate with where you've come from, which is much like where I've come from. In that, around this topic of soulmates, um, we are conditioned and taught to believe that God has this perfect plan for us that includes this one special person, right? And that person's going to be everything to us, our best friend, our partner, our lover, all the things. And so in your life experience, when did that kind of fall apart for you? Um, I think it was a gradual, it was more like dissolving, right? Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it would have been 10 years ago, maybe not 10. No, 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 it would not have been 10. It would have been, it would have been about eight years ago. Um, I think the picture that comes to my mind right now is you just are throwing dirt in a black hole is what you feel like you, you keep trying to un- understand these, these big questions, like these things that you have questions for, like, uh, the big religious questions. I don't, I don't know how much I want to get into any of that, but like about hell maybe, or, or about homosexuality or about, um, you know, in the world, not of it, all of, all of these things, these topics that you kind of wonder about drinking, or maybe if you're Baptist, like dancing, whatever it is. And, uh, for me, money was a really big thing. Like how do the churches handle their finances? And, and, um, I think it all started to, I'm a very practical person. So it all started to dissolve for me, uh, I think with around the money issue and then homosexuality too. Cause I, I had friends that were raised in church that, um, Brandon Corey in particular, these, some of my close, close friends since I was a kid that I knew and they, uh, watching Brandon hate himself for decades, feeling like he wanted to get over this thing and then couldn't and wanted to get over and couldn't. And then watching the way that he left and was treated, um, when he came out really snapped me because I just, in all of my interactions with God, I had never felt God be the way that people were acting towards him. So I think that was kind of the line in the sand for me of, of getting out of, um, I want to say the phrase organized religion. Maybe it's more getting out of, um, that, that brand of Christian church, you know? Right. And I think too, there's, there's a lot of shame around the idea of of not fitting that perfect mold, you know, which is you hinted towards that with Brandon and what he went through in realizing who he was and how much he hated himself for not being what he was supposed to be, quote unquote. And 
for those of us who've been through divorce, there can be a lot of shame, especially if you're still inside of that religious community, so much shame for not sticking it out or not having the perfect marriage or what have you. There's just this blanket of shame over everything. And when you circle this back into this idea of relationships, I felt a lot of shame for not having found that one perfect soulmate, for not having found that one perfect husband, if that makes sense. I'm getting over that now, but but I'm curious, did you feel any of that ever, that shame piece? The shame piece, I think, the shame around leaving or not finding the perfect soulmate? Yeah, like when you realized your marriage wasn't perfect, when you realized he wasn't maybe everything you hoped or thought you were supposed to be connected to your whole life. Did you feel shame over that? You know, I think the, I think the bigger, the bigger thing you're asking is um, you're dipping into the shame of change, any change. Mm. And what's interesting is, and I, and this is another psychiatry thing that I've written pretty extensively about is the fact that our our, uh, we have like, so our central nervous system is bent on keeping us alive. Trust me, I'm going somewhere with this. Our central nervous <laughs> system is bent on keeping us alive. That's why you can go to sleep and your heart's going to keep beating and you're going to keep breathing and all of this stuff. Your blood's going to keep pumping. So it is always working to keep you alive. That's why you have anxiety. That's why you stay awake at night worried about, oh my God, what if my, are my tires on my car? Okay. Do I have enough money for rent this month? Is because your, your, it's, your brain is trying to, it's only focused on survival. And so, um, part of that primal brain is to notice in our tribe when people change, because when people change, we didn't understand mental illness forever and ever and ever ago. We don't, we still don't understand it. Right. But one of the triggers in our brain to watch out for is we watch for when people change because when there's too much change, it signals mental illness to us in someone else. Right. And so, you know, if they like, I remember when I, I moved to uh, St. Louis for 10 months and I remember being embarrassed. I was like 22. Uh, I came back and someone I came, I moved back home to Louisiana and I saw someone in Walmart and they go, didn't you, didn't you just move to St. Louis? And it was this like shame thing of like, oh, you moved back. Something must not have gone right. Right. Mm. Like you changed your mind. How many times can you change your mind? If, if I moved, you know, I've gotten over it now, but it's like, I've, I moved to uh, St. Louis, I moved to Austin, I moved to California. And there was a lot of shame around that for me in particular, because um, I think I was kind of raised in a small town, like stay where you are type of thing. And if you move out of it and you come back, there's the shame around, oh, she just couldn't make it, you know? And so the same thing with church, right? It's, it's, what keeps people in marriages that just are no longer working. It's what keep, keeps people in church is because you leave and you change. People don't like it. Maybe you leave and you realize that you do want to come back because you 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 your faith is needs to be revisited, or you have a new understanding of God, or you've experienced grace with yourself and the church, and you you just want that relationship again, or you fell into something crazy and you felt stable the last time at your church, so you go back and there's this oh well they're back. 
oh, well, we, you know, we're just going to be accepting. And I don't, I don't know why the judgy church lady always has a Southern voice for me, but that tells me a lot about my upbringing. But, um, but so we, we watch for change in other people and we automatically hold it as a negative. Um, just like 10 minutes before I got on the phone with you, uh, I was on the phone with my ex and he called to go, Hey, we, he called to catch up. We catch up all the time. But he said he wants to sell this business that he bought two years ago and he's been working on. And he was talking in circles about getting rid of this business. And I said, you're arguing with yourself. People sell businesses all the time. Like you're just afraid of change and that people will think because you've changed so much that there's something wrong with you. Um, mm. So there's shame around him selling that business. There's shame around leaving the church. There's shame around going back to the church. Um, so do I feel shame about the change in the status of my marriage because of the soulmate thing? That's a two part question. First of all, I don't believe in one soulmate. I think that there are many soulmates, meaning we have many people that we connect with in a way that feels so special. And that does not have to be romantic in any sense. Um, you know, I think Tova is one of my soulmates because I absolutely just love her. We connected the first time we met. We are not romantically involved. I do not want to be romantically involved with Tova, you know, like, <laughs> like, you know, you are one of them as well. It's just, there's this hyper connection with a soulmate. And then the other part of the, that question is the shame. And I think that in changing relationships, and this is off topic really, but in changing relationships, um, I think that people just change and we have to let them change and we have to sort of observe ourselves and, and ask why, why does it matter that just because someone changes that there should be shame attached if they've changed too many times in what we deem is like, you know, a short time span. So we kind of have to override notice when we're doing that to people and override that, that primal thing that we're programmed to do and go, Hey, it's okay. If someone changes, it's okay. If someone get to, gets divorced because life happens, we're married. Now when marriage was created, you, uh, you lived till you were 40. Right. And, and that was like an old right. age. And so now we're, we're married until we're, you know, 90. And, uh, and it's, it's just such a different scenario, you know, but, um, Gosh, it's so Kirby, you said so many good things there. I just like I feel like I want to spin off five different rabbit trails with you. Like a rabbit trailer. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, you said so many good things there. Okay, first of all, that whole like bit on on change and shame and how we attach shame naturally just to change, something being different, that is so like I'm having a huge revelation right now. That was so good because I, even in my experiences, and I feel like I've really worked through a lot of personal shame. I don't think I connected those dots before you said that about how much it's really not the situation. It's the fact that the situation is changing and that's where the problem lies. That was so good. Right. Like, like you and you talk about this. I know there, to me, there shouldn't be any shame around this for you. You've been married twice and divorced twice. And that, that like the fact that it's two instead of one 
all that's happening there in the primal brain is for you judging yourself, for anyone else judging you, is she's changed too many times. What's wrong? Mm. And there's no, like, there's literally no basis for it because if anyone had a conversation with you and sat down and went, okay, I'm, I'm trying to override my primal brain here. What, like, can you tell me about this? Um, they would both, they would all be like, oh my God, like, get out. What are you talking about? Like, you know, <laughs> like it, it's because it's not working. And so we, but we stay in these situations and relationships in the job, you know, in the city, we stay in things to avoid personal shame. Um, you know, and, and not to appear that we don't change too much. So here's a question then, because I, I know a lot of my listeners are in tough relationships right now. Like I know some of them are in marriages that are hard. They're in marriages that are ending. They're in marriages where separation's on the table or they're in partnerships where the partnership is rocky right now and they're staying because they feel like they should or what have you. So when you're looking at it from this angle of, okay, part of my reason for not changing things that might even mean things becoming healthier is because I'm afraid of the perception that other people will give me. So you've done some big changes in your life. What advice would you give to someone who's like afraid to make that jump? I would say that, okay, some of the best advice that I read um, was somebody said, Let's see. Is this book too good to stay? Let's see. Is it too good to leave, too bad to stay? And it's kind of like a diagnostic for relationships if we're specifically leaning on that um, and whether or not to leave and the shame around that. And she said that author, she's a therapist and it's a brilliant book. Um, she said the the worst thing about trying to decide what to do is when you are doubting yourself because when you stay when you feel like you should leave if you stay when you feel like you should leave you are constantly telling your inner voice no 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 society's voice is more important staying in my tribe is more important everyone else is more important than me than this voice yada 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 Things that should make, I, I mean, this is my opinion, things in, of everything that I've read and all the therapists that I work with, this is kind of like the, um, there are a few earmarkers for like, definitely get out. One of them is abuse, um, emotional or otherwise, you know, um, and that's like a, a hard leave. That's the first note there. But reasons you should maybe consider working it out is if you had something before, that's that's one major note that I've always heard. If you really had something before and you felt like you had a really special relationship, but you feel like you've lost it, then studies show that you can get that back if both partners are willing to work on it. Um, and uh, But both partners have to be willing to work on it. And so like if you have kids and if you're both willing to work on it and you used to have something special then go see a therapist, you know, see what, see what happens. But there's no shame there. I mean, okay, there is a lot of shame. There should not be any shame around your desire to change your legal 
married status. Like it's, it's just ridiculous that we stay in these things and we're miserable for, you know, I, I don't know, let's say you get married at 25, 28, and then you're 45 and you, you never had kids or maybe you had one kid and the kid has grown up and not, and not, and you're miserable and he's not happy either. And it's like 20 years under the bridge. And to me, staying married for the sake of staying married is like, why? Just because you signed a paper when you were 25, you know, you're a completely different person and there should be no shame around revisiting that. You're not, you're not wearing the same clothes. You, you maybe aren't living in the same house. You might not be in the same, you're not the same person. You know, we make so many life transitions and uh, like Perel says, she says, I have had three marriages to the same man. And I think that's a brilliant way to put how it has to function if it's working and you guys really want to and really need to stick stick it through. Is that you've got to every few years, maybe every five to seven years, you got to scrap it and have like a real come to Jesus and sit down and go, what, you know, okay, let's redo this thing, you know? That's so true. And you know what, Kirby, what makes me so frustrated and sad and angry about that truth is that when you come from the background you and I come from, that isn't taught. So this whole having this scrapping on the table moment that you're right is totally healthy and totally needed and valid. No one ever gives you permission to do that. So I think a lot of people they just are shelving conversations that should be had and they're tabling stuff that should be discussed. And they're just smacking a smile on their face and just kind of going through life. And then they get to, like you said, like, okay, now we're miserable and now we have to part and this is going to be ugly. And so I think, I think there's a lack of education around this whole idea of what it looks like to change with a person. It's a, it's a lot of work. Right. Right. Well, I think that too, there's kind of, I forget, I forget how the old adage goes, but it's something about, um, you know, how do you make the cake? Oh, well you make this much batter and you throw a third of it away, but you, but you have to make that much batter before you, and then you throw the third of it away and then you, you bake it or you bake it and then you cut off the two ends and, and everybody's going, well, why? And it's like, well, it's because someone five generations ago had a smaller oven and they actually <laughs> made it that way one time. And they had to throw a third of the batter away. So now everyone for generations down just doesn't question it. And that's what we do. The, the, uh, there's a book called, uh, let's see, I think it's called The Psychology of Influence. And it's by Robert Cialdini. And it's absolutely brilliant. And it talks about how we behave. We just behave. Okay. So uh, this is how, I know I'm comparing Nazi Germany to marriage now. And that is not what I'm saying. Um, but, but I mean, you have, you have social studies on, on Nazi Germany and, and all that I'm talking about in that regard is that we do what we think is socially acceptable so that we can remain in our tribe. Because again, that primal brain is firing and going, you can't survive on your own. And so, um, a lot of women stay in marriages because, you know, when I ask them why, you know, I, I'm so not happy. I'm not happy. I'm not happy. Okay. Then why are you, he, why are you saying, well, what if I get cancer? Okay. Well, that's not a reason to stay in a marriage. You know, why are you saying, oh, well, what if, um, what if I never find anyone again? Okay. Well also that's not a reason 
to stay in the marriage. You know, if that's your only reason for staying, then you really need to revisit that. At least get counseling and therapy. My God, I think everybody needs to be in therapy. But here's like, here's a study that I heard that I think is an extreme example, but it's so powerful to show us how we just obey and how important obe- or how important obedience is. This was a study out of Yale and um, I'm going to mess up the exact statistics because, you know, whatever. But they they hired an actor to pretend like they were being shocked, like electroshocked, and put him in a room uh, with a glass mirror thing. And then they hired a, and they, and they locked him down, right, and attached these electrodes to his body. But he was an actor, okay? Then they brought in a test subject um, and a teacher. So the teacher would make the test subject ask the, ask the guy in the room a test question. And if the guy in the room got it wrong, then that the person who didn't know that they were in the experiment, the only one who didn't know, so the teacher knew what was going on, that that was an actor, and the actor knew that it was an actor, and he would respond accordingly. But the one other person in the experiment who was just following directions and asking the test question and then pushing a button that he thought would slightly electrocute the the guy in the room. Okay. So every time the guy in the room got the answer wrong, the, the question asker would push the button and then have to physically turn a dial to up the uh, wattage. He thought he was electrocuting the person with and the, and, and this guy like, the actor would call out, I have heart problems. I feel like I'm going to pass out. You're killing me. I mean, would be screaming, crying. And this test subject in the room would continue turning up the dial and pushing the button and doing what they thought was electrocuting the other person in the room at Yale University under the direction of the teacher because the teacher looked not like unconcerned about the situation. And so what is so, what's so amazing about that is it was nearly as many women as men. And these are just your everyday people. Like if you were in that room, Anna, if I was in that room, anyone who was in that room, there were like 98 out of a hundred test subjects pushed the button and inflicted physical pain, they thought, on this other person in the test room. And they did that because simply another person was standing in the room with them saying, continue continue, continue. Okay. And so we have these voices in our head and it does, it works. I mean, I know it's an extreme example, but it works for society and marriage. And the whole point was we are extremely obedient to not only outside authority, but our inner authority that's in our head. And you know, those voices that are like, um, for me, I I can check off every item on my to-do list. And when I put my head down at night, I'm still like, I didn't do anything today, right? Where's that voice coming from? Like, well, that's probably my dad, you know? Like that busybody, super accomplishment, like type A thing. But we have these outer voices and these inner voices that all structure to keep us um, compliant with society. And honestly, it's adaptive because it's trying to keep us alive because it's going, don't leave the tribe. If you leave the tribe, you will die. So it tries to keep you in your social groups and all that stuff. And we know that it can be social suicide when you get divorced or when you get separated or um, when you even consider leaving a marriage. You know, it's like the plague to your other married friends. (laughs) So Right. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I remember that study. I think you and I have talked about that study before. And it's still, it rings so true because although it's an extreme example, 
gosh, we see that played out in so many everyday scenarios within groups of people all the time. And I, I think there's none better than at least my experiences back in my church days and probably in your church days and people listening are like nodding going, yeah, people are obedient even to the extreme of really harming other people. Um, I was thinking about how you were referencing, you know, the social suicide sometimes that comes with leaving a marriage or change in general. How do you recommend to people, given your experience, to overcome that fear? I, um, one of the, one of the things that I did was I I know how susceptible I am to opinion um, of my close, close people, or at least how susceptible I am when I'm in, when I'm facing something like marriage, should we dissolve this marriage? Should we not? And so, um, I don't, I decided I'm not going to live my, I'm not going to make this decision by democracy. <laughs> like this is my life. This is my choice. I'm going to have to deal with the repercussions of this. So what I did was, um, I only let a couple of people into that space with me as I was trying to figure it out. And um, I didn't ask, what should I do to one person? I, I, like, I didn't even tell my parents, really, until I had pretty much decided in my heart. But I didn't tell anyone because I was sitting with it for as long as I possibly could to just see how it felt. And, 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 um, and I was given that time because my ex and I were very kind to each other in that. And it's a very soft process for us. It, it was very difficult, but it was very soft. So I would say, as far as social suicide goes, if someone's going to reject you because you signed your name on a piece of paper 20 years ago, then, you know, and there's so much more to marriage than that. And I know that. But at the same time, um, these people should have been in your life all along. And if they have been in your life in a conversational sense that you are being honest and vulnerable with them, and it really is a good move for you to get out of the marriage, then there shouldn't be any hesitation on their part either, right? So everyone, every single person that when um, John and I explained what was going on with us, every single person in our lives uh, that loved us and cared about us was like, hey, this is great. Like you guys are both happy. You're doing this right. This is good. This is right. This is the next move. And, uh, and actually I haven't had one naysayer. So that's pretty, that's pretty fascinating. It's a testament, honestly, to the fact that I have curated my friend list. And I don't, I was going to say, (laughs) yeah, I don't mean on social media. I mean, like I have a no, no, uh, bullshit clause about who I'm friends with and who, who I'm not. Uh, and I'm kind to everyone, but if you're in that circle with me, it's because I've given you that place. Because when I swiped like the table clean, I swiped the table clean. So any you have a beautiful chance when you're when you're in that situation to really you have wet cement. What do you want? You have to be very careful with who you're listening to and what you're listening to and um and and really step back and read your thoughts and look at your thoughts and go, well, why do I think that? Every single thing. I miss him. Why do I miss him? Well, because I can't change the light bulb because it's too high in the ceiling. Okay, that's not a good reason. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> and this is what we do with church too, right? Like if you, 
if you leave organized religion because of the way that they're treating people or da 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 and then you get slightly uncomfortable and you're like, man, I miss that mac and cheese at the potluck we had on Sundays. It's like, go buy a box of mac and cheese. Like, don't don't sell your soul just because of this one thing. And it, I think it's the same thing in, in friend relationships. We will do anything to not be lonely um, because that's another survival thing, right? It's our primal brain going, don't leave the tribe. Don't do anything to mess up your relationship with the tribe because the tribe equals survival, physical survival. And that's just not true anymore. Um, so, of course, there's that that thing that you and I talk about it all the time. And you have a different name for it. I call it the gap, like where you're living in the gap of mm-hmm. I've made it and the oh, shit. Um, yeah. You know, and, and I call it the in-between. Yes, the in-between. <laughs> and I'm like... <laughs> It's like that moment where where between when you jump out of the plane before you hit the ground. Um, yep, the in-between. Yes, and I think that when you're living in that, it's very easy to either numb or, yeah, just numb, numb in general, whether it's, you know, calling the old friends who aren't good or going back to that voice that's not healthy, um, you know, picking up the drugs or the alcohol or the whatever. I, me, I ate bad stuff and read romance novels. That's how I dealt with it. (laughs) (laughs) And so I could really sit with my emotion because emotions are scary, right? We do anything we can to not feel sad or uh, anxious. We'll do anything, you know? It's true. And I think we like the familiar. And that's one thing that during the in-between or the gap, like you said, that can be so hard, especially when change is involved, is you crave what's familiar. And I'm sure there's tribalistic um, elements to that where familiar feels safe, familiar feels predictable, familiar feels like I'm untouchable. This is good. This is where I'm supposed to be. And breaking that cycle in my head has been where I've had to like really catch myself because I will miss things that were even bad simply because they were what I knew. They were what were normal. And um, breaking that cycle in your head and being aware of it was huge for me. Yeah, definitely. I, I, that was what I did when I went back to the drawing board was my first questions for people. Um, what I would call people and go, is this normal about being married? Should I feel this way? Should I not feel this way? Um, you know, what is normal about, about separation? What is normal about, um, you know, that type of thing. And well, the, the, the thing is though, that I'll say about that is that John and I have not had a normal separation and divorce. Like it has been very, very kind, very thoughtful. Nobody's fingers are on the trigger. Um, and we've been very fortunate in that, but you're absolutely right about wanting to maintain, um, a sense of, of normalcy and wanting to maintain. And yeah, it's, it's absolutely, it's about survival. And I'm telling you like every, like when you can tap into my body is trying to keep me alive. My brain is trying to keep me alive. And that means no social suicide. And that means, you know, like that's why anxiety and panic wake you up at night. They're, they're trying to, to be your friend, but they're going overboard. (laughs) Like, Right. Need to go that far. Right. And, um, and that, I mean, it's, it's trying to keep you safe. And so when you look at that and you step back and you go, thank you, but 
I got it from here. I can change and it's okay because the world has changed. People change careers so many times, right? You change phone numbers. You you buy and sell businesses. There are day traders. Everything changes day to day. Someone, a video can go viral and change your life overnight, right? Change happens all the time. But when we look at it through our little scope and our little lens and really through a microscope of, or we think everyone is watching us. That's another problem. And really nobody cares. They've got their own stuff, you know, uh, mm-hmm. everybody cares about themselves, but, but the, this primal thing I think is very important to start to look at um, whether it's, you know, what we even started out talking about is like the connection between females and how much I value my girlfriends, especially during this season of my life. Um, is because of that is because it's a primal need for survival and that's how the tribe started right is girls sitting around like nursing babies cooking the food holding down the fort while the guys were out hunting and stuff and so that's you know that's the way it is and another note on this on this survival thing uh good marketing even knows this all marketing is targeted towards some sort of making you feel like you need that product for survival. So, I mean, everybody's using this science. We'd be stupid not to apply it to, you know, how we feel in social situations about maintaining a relationship that's not working any longer. Gosh, that's so good. Okay. I have one final question for you. What is one thing about relationships that you wish you could go back and tell your younger self? Oh my God. That's a really good question. Um, one thing about relationships. Is this romantic or just any relationships? Any relationships. I would tell myself, you don't have to be the other person. You can be yourself. Um, because mm. I, uh, my, my personality type and my upbringing and everything um, my religion, everything kind of made me really try to mirror other people and sort of, uh, not take up space and kind of blend into their, whatever they were feeling. If they were in a bad mood, then I would get quiet and like, what can I do to make your, you know, and spend, literally think about spend yourself or spending myself with a capital S to change their state. And it wasn't worth it for 90% or for, for, for anything. It wasn't worth it for anything because you're spending yourself to change for someone else and, uh, or mirror even really, really mirror when they're, when they're up, you're up, or if they want this and you do everything you can to, to do that for them, or they want that. And, um, you kind of, it's actually, it's codependency is what it is. That's the actual definition of codependency. And so I think that I would tell myself that I would say, stay in your lane, you know, and check, check in with yourself more often, treat yourself the way that you're treating them. Cause I, I'm a really good friend, (laughs) but, but it was like too good. Like I lost myself. I lost years of, because they didn't want this or they wanted this. So they wanted me to act a certain way or my mood. I would just, I would kind of hide in a bubble, even if I was like very happy because of some good news, you know, I would like dampen 
myself because I was around someone who was never in a good mood, you know, but I kept them on as friends. So, yeah. You know what? One other thing, too. I know you'd only ask for one thing, but shame around change, too, because it's like I would be friends with someone just because I had been friends with someone, right? And I even Mm -hmm. thought this morning, I was at the breakfast table, and I went, um... I need to, I need to call so-and-so. And I, and I sat back and I went, why do I feel like I need to call them? I was like, well, because it's been a while since we talked. Okay. That's a problem. <laughs> like, do I, does it have anything to do with that? I want to talk to this person. No, it has nothing to do with that. Okay. Well then don't call them. Like, like you don't, you can't just Whenever your body says should about a relationship or your mind tells you, you should do this about a relationship, always ask why, you know, don't be afraid to walk away unless you have borderline personality disorder, in which case you should go get therapy because you always want to walk away from things. I have a long track record of like very deep, close, many friendships. So (laughs) yes, yes. Gosh, that is such good advice. Kirby, see, I feel like I could just keep talking to you for hours. This was so good. Oh my gosh, thank you. We normally spend like at least two hours on the phone whenever we talk. We're just I know. Oh my gosh. I know. Yeah, that was good. And I should have had you on sooner. It's like we never ever run out of things to talk about that I'm sure the whole world would just be oh fascinated to hear. So we would pay money to hear our conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're like you want to be on the podcast. I'm like, uh, sure about sure. Yeah, sure. People will want to download this to hear <laughs> to hear you you talk, but I didn't let you get a word in edgewise, and I'm not even caffeinated. So next time, yeah, you know what though? Yeah, we listen. You listen to me talk all the time. I talk your ear off about all the things all the time. So this is this was my opportunity to give you the floor. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Well, you're great, Anna. Oh, I love you, Kirby, and I love all of this. Me too. Me too. This is good. Oh, my gosh. Okay, I love you. Thank you for being on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thanks, guys. Hey there. I hope you enjoyed the conversation today. You can find my blog and links to my Instagram and Facebook account on my website at justajesusfollower.com. I hope you join us next week for another raw, honest conversation. In the meantime, go in peace and know that you are enough.